This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version with no frills and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player Two episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no spaces. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And here we are. Uh, we are months away, just a few months away. And I remember this. feels like almost two years ago where we were kind of in this place where we started seeing trailers for Ghostbusters Afterlife. And uh, we got a new trailer. And it's not one of those. It's not one of those shitty trailers, right? You know, where like they just take what they did show you and then throw it together and maybe show you just a sliver more. You know, bitches just rearranging the same crap to tempt you. There's a lot of new stuff. They basically provide answers to questions that we kind of already knew the answers to. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, we, we're kind of feeling, but but I think what's important is that there are some trailers where I felt like it was going to be a good movie, and then it ended up being shit. And I think part of that was because of of maybe they didn't have a lot of trailers. You know, what that comes to mind is uh, Suicide Squad, the first Suicide Squad, not the James Gunn Suicide Squad. And I was so excited for that movie because of the way they pitched it, because they were kind of hinging it around the Joker, it seemed like being the main baddie. The way that they were presenting it had kind of a Guardians of the Galaxy feel to it, you know, where it was kind of like, you know, deep, dark, but then slapstick to an extent to kind of, you know, it, it, you know it's a bit like, you know, sour candies. <laughs> it's, there's a sweet side, but it's meant to make your fist contort your fist. It's meant to make your face contort. So, it, it, I mean, what did you think? There are parts where you just get chills. Yes. Yes. And I, I've seen this at least a dozen times now, maybe more. Yeah. And there are so few movies where I get the chills, but they hit the audio just right. You know, you know, when the sirens are blaring and the Ecto-1 spinning around the corner uh, and and just the strong pull of nostalgia when you see the sort of a streaming glowing pink fireworks of the spirits cascading out of the mountain in the background, or, you know, the sound of the, of the wand pulsating as that, that, that proton pack is, is just, you know, pushing out to, to reach out to whatever ghost is that they're chasing it, it, it. They're using all the same sounds. Like this is, this is a real reach. They've not screwed with it. Like I am feeling it. 
Like I, I get chills, literal goosebumps in those last few scenes. Frankly, like if they stopped here and they didn't show the re- release the rest of the movie, this is better than that Ghostbusters film they tried to put out a few years ago. It, uh, to that point, to that point, I've watched that movie several times. We were talking the 2016 episode, right? The one where they tried to do a mashup of Scooby-Doo and, and the Ghostbusters, it felt like. And, and to, to that point, I think all of the actors did a bang-up job as best a job they could. I think the writing sucked. I think there were obviously issues that came out after the fact. The, the original Ghostbusters cast that cameoed kind of came out afterwards and said they, they warned them. They, they told them that they should do it differently. But they were under contract not to present the negative side. They had to. They had to be all positive, all light, right? Mm-hmm. All, all smiles. And and it's an entertaining movie in it on its own. Like I just, I, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like you got Ghostbusters, and then you got the cartoon that came out a little while afterwards, the real Ghostbusters, not to be confused with the nineteen seventies Ghostbusters, and then the one that followed up after that. It, but it, it's not the same. We can argue that the 2016 one was good or bad or, or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is we wouldn't be where we are today if the 2016 movie hadn't come out. If there hadn't been such a an offense taken by the community and Sony Pictures realizing that they just approached it wrong. They, they approached this community wrong. They approached fandom wrong. You know, and um, and that's that's kind of the end of it. Like we we owe the 2016 movie for that at the very least. The reaction I kind of felt to my core after watching this trailer, because it's been a while since I've watched one of the other trailers, because it's just mm-hmm. it's been out of sight, out of mind. It's been like, all right, well, they kept on punting the dates of when it was going to be released. And the overwhelming feeling I felt that I had was. I have I had this this strong feeling that we're going to leave that movie theater or however you want to watch it and say that's how you do a Ghostbusters movie. One would hope. I think this is going to be as close I'm, as we're ever going to get. This is as close. I think this is as good as it's going to get. And and I think what they realized is that the difference between the 2016 which was kind of like a remake and they're trying to take a different angle on it, different set of actors. I, I get it. Like that's how you do some movies, right? But in this one, we're connecting with the original audience. We're saying, where's the original audience now? Well, they're fucking older. We're older. We have kids now, right? We may be a little estranged from our parents. And given the past couple of years. Our knees and our backs hurt. And well, and, you know, we're kind of, and we've had people that have died. You know, we've had parents, we've had grandparents that have passed away. We are both a part of family and potentially disconnected from family. So this movie kind of starts us in that direction. It's just, you know, this daughter that's that's and her kids who have been disconnected from her father now have nowhere else to go but to her dead father's house in the middle of freaking nowhere. Somerville. Exactly. And, uh, and one of the things that just seems more apparent through this trailer than the other trailer is this idea of ephemera, this stuff that was once used and enjoyed. And the fact that this ephemera is being given new life. And it's almost as if there was a larger plan in play. And you get that feeling almost, right? 
that, you know, when the daughter, Callie says to to Janice, you know, well, he didn't leave us anything. And she says, well, I wouldn't say Janine. he didn't leave anything. Oh, Janine. Did I say Janice? Janine. My bad. I meant Janine. Sorry. Janice. <laughs> Janice. <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> she also played a Janice, I might add, earlier in her career. Anyhow, Janine. That that he he did leave something behind, and I think honestly, I think we're seeing the ghost of Egon in the house, in the equipment, in the car. Well, you know that scene in the trailer where the the light is kind of moving on, or the lamp is moving on its own, like it's pointing for her to look at something, like it's pointing to something. Like yeah. to me, that was that's the the greatest hint we've seen that there's going to be the ghost of Egon somewhere in this film. Yeah, everything else has been a shadow, but this one hit it in a number of places. The, the movement of the lamp, the lights turning off, and then one light in the hallway turning on. Uh, you know, a lot of little things. The fact that that he spent a lot of time and money keeping the car running. And we know that because they make comments to the fact that, you know, there's a bunch of that. The only car that was functional on the property that had a working engine was the Ecto-1. Now, why in good gravy would he keep the Ecto-1 going? More importantly, why in good gravy would he be where he is? And I think what it comes down to is he knew there was a war that was coming. He knew that Ivo Shandor was going to come back, that the spirits would converge, that the, the natural place would be the selenium in the minds of Ivo Shandor, and that that was the next convergence. That was, that was the next cross rip that was going to occur. And he knew it was going to happen, and he knew he wouldn't be around for it. So he did what he knew how to do. He learned how to become a ghost and how to help his family when they would eventually come to his property and help kind of put them in motion to do what he could not. It's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. I mean, I can't remember. Well, I guess I can't remember the last time I was super excited about a movie coming out because I don't go to many movies. Pretty sure the last one was Ready Player One. Yeah. So it's been a while. Now, I'm hoping that the response is better. I, I was about to say, my expectations are a little bit different as far as this movie is concerned. I mean, Ready Player One, I had huge expectations, and it didn't quite turn out like I expected, but I still enjoyed the movie quite a bit. And I understand after the fact why it had to be done the way it was done. The difference here is that like we don't have 300-something pages of source material to judge it on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have nothing other than the original that movies helped. to base it on. And and then we have the 2016 movie, which it's going to be held in comparison to, to a certain degree, which I feel like it only make it look even better. It's it's um, it's remarkable. It's it's it looks like from just the minute or two that we get a glimpse of it. It's the same feel. It's the same. It's the same darkness with a cut of sugar. Right. Like the fact that Paul Rudd's character, Mr. Gruberson's going through what appears to be like a Walmart and then the marshmallows come out and you're kind of like, this seems a little fucked up. And then like the marshmallows are like skewering each other through the head or roasting each other and lighting each other on fire. Each other. It, yeah. It's it's like it's like being haunted by a dozen five year olds. That's both terrifying and adorable. Well, and then there's the the scene later in the trailer where he's running out of the Walmart and one of the dogs comes chasing after him. It's like, yes. So so the way that this process, the way that this process goes is that 
you've you've got a central worship place that the spirits spirit realm is attracted to that the spirits come to collect at if you will it's the reason why New York was having a number of hauntings because they were all sort of beginning to migrate to the central source and then over time it reaches a point where uh, the dogs come out and they have to oh, inhabit the no, let the dogs out. And they have to inhabit the bodies. It's the key master and the gatekeeper. And they have to inhabit two humans. And then those humans have to go doggy style. I guess demon dog Ooh. style. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, that's what then brings on the coming of Gozer. That's what brings on the coming of Gozer. Exactly. Did you see the statue of Gozer? I did. The hair, yeah. and did you see Gozer climbing out of the hole? Yeah. In just a yeah. quick moment, it looks a lot like the original actress coming out with the hair and it, everything. And there's that, that scene where you see the statue of Gozer. It's like, it appears as though Gozer is flanked by the dogs, but they're like standing up or something. Did you catch that? I did not. If you go to the timestamp 140-ish, you'll see it. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. so slight. They tease it for but just a moment. Yeah, but if you hit pause. But, yeah, I do. I see the dog standing upright. I see I see Gozer. You see the pyramid and the eye and the top of the pyramid with the rays coming out. And it's almost like they're inside, like inside of a pyramid, right, with these statues. Well, yeah, they must have lowered. They must have been brave kids and lowered themselves into the shaft because I guess that's the uh, the platform that the in the center there with the kids on it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, shit. So the thing here is that if this has to happen, what we're seeing here is Paul Rudd's character, Mr. Gruberson, it seems like he is going to be the gatekeeper. No, I'm sorry, the key master, right? Key equals penis. So it seems like he's possibly going to be the key master. So that leaves to question of the characters, who's going to be the gatekeeper? Well, of anybody we've been introduced to so far, it's really only the mother. That's what I'm thinking. Callie. And they are already communicating. They already know of each other. You know, I don't know that there's necessarily an attraction per se. Maybe there is. Maybe they're kind of sporting a potential, you know, single mom, you know, uh, dude chasing down earthquakes, you know, meets single mom and, and it, it, kind of a a midlife relationship kind of thing gone astray due to this cross rip event. But yeah, that's kind of where my head's at. Now you think about it, shit's hitting the fan, you know, Paul Rudd's wandering around town looking for the gatekeeper and mom's been possessed. And the kids are like, what are we going to do? We've got the equipment. We've already run down some ghosts probably because, you know, those come on before the big event. And that's when I think one of them reaches out to Ray. Now, there are articles out there, and this is the weird thing about articles and even some review videos, because one article said that somebody reaches out to what they thought was uh, Peter Venkman. Yeah, now, they are so wrong. anybody who's seen the video and you know the voice, it's not Peter Venkman. It was just a, just a, a, a half-assed I, article. I will say, though, you can... Pro- like. There's probably a few people that the first time they hear it, they could say, "Was that Peter?" But you know, to the you know, I think to the point that you made when we were talking about this before we were on the air, that you know, you see clearly that the uh, the sign for occult books, which is right. Ray's store, 
Right. And that was in the second movie. When I first heard it, I'm like, oh, it's Ray. Yay, Ray. And then and, and from the and from the second movie is the red phone. So the, mm. the red phone was in the shop too. He's been running that bookstore for a while. Yeah, no kidding, right? But but it's interesting that the red phone, that he's kept it active, that the number to call Ghostbusters has always been around. He's always been answering it, evidently. You know, maybe he's yeah. just using it also for his shop's phone number because that would be good cross-marketing, which is why when you see that he picks up, he says we're closed. Now, I kind of wonder if that isn't just, you know, the audio you know, and and the video being mixed in a way that it makes sense for the trailer. But that what we'll end up seeing is that he'll tell somebody what that comes to the shop, that they're closed and then the phone will ring and it'll be like the first time it's rung in like forever. One might say and then he 30, picks it up. <laughs> maybe that that maybe that's the, the weirdness, but that it's going to be it's going to be Phoebe reaching out to him. And again, here there was another article, another article by uh, Entertainment Weekly, and they're basically the, the title of this was "Original Ghostbusters Answer the Call to Save Paul Rudd in the New Afterlife Trailer," which insinuates that Paul Rudd's the one that reaches out to call. And my guess, my prediction is that Paul Rudd will have already been converted into the Keymaster, that the mom will have already been converted into the gatekeeper that the kids will be left with without the full range of skills like this is bigger than they can handle it and that that phoebe is the one that reaches out and it's it's it that's the passing of the torch that we're seeing there that moment when ray has to bring the group back together and and come to action and that's when it because they're all a big family we kind of know that's going to happen because They've already posted images of the action figures that are going to be released. Oh, sure. For the movie. And we have seen the, you know, the three remaining Ghostbusters in their full attire as old men. Right. Right. And, and there have been pictures of them eating at, at a restaurant after, after shooting. Like we know that, that everyone, uh, you know, safe for Egon is going to be front and center. Safe for Egon and, um, you're talking about Lewis Tully. Thank you. Lewis Tully, who's played, who, who is played by... Rick Moranis. Damn, you're good with this. Fantastic. Uh, Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver would have been great to have in the movie, but I get why they probably won't be. Here's the thing, though. We know that Rick Moranis, I think it was within the last year, said that he was going to do another Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie. So... I'm wondering if he does actually have a very short cameo in this film, but it's like kept under wraps. It would be cool if that was the case. Uh, every story I've read said it wasn't. Yeah, I know. But like, that's part of the game, right? It's like, you can't let that Could out be. now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, they know everyone else that's doing it. There have been pictures of that. There's, there's, you know, because everyone knows they're able to talk about it. I'm holding hope. I'll hold out hope for that. If that happens, like, and if I'm actually like in a theater and, and see that, I'm going to be like, yeah, go Lewis Tully. It would be great if it, to see him kind of come onto the scene with the backpack, right? He's dusting off the backpack that he's got and, and, asking, and brings, like, it, brings it to the, to the play. <laughs> uh, it, it would be awesome. Uh it, yeah, so I just I love the fact that this movie is about is about family and it's about family in a slightly different way. 
the first movie is is creating a family through starting this business and and it's centered around this sort of higher calling which is to prevent the end of the world as they know it and this is focused on family sort of finding itself again through the same higher calling that brought the original family back together and uh just just it, it i freaking love it i i love the fact that you feel the presence of Egon both as a as a guiding hand uh, and as an active part of the house and the equipment. And I and I didn't feel that in the first trailer. I definitely feel it now. If you were a fan of the original Ghostbusters movies and this didn't strike at least one or two chords with you, then stay home. Then I get it. It the movie hits you when you're able to see it, right? When 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 you first see it. My kids have seen it. It's not going to hit them like it hit me. It was the first movie that I got to see alone. Uh, so I was in middle school at that time. And it was just the right amount of horror and humor. And when we talk about what's been missing in the past, and maybe you could even argue what was missing out of the second movie, uh, is that balance. Just that really good chemistry between horror and humor. It just looks like they've nailed it. At least I'm hoping so. That you know that two minutes we got seems like they've got it nailed. The original Ghostbusters film was probably the f- the first movie I can think of because I was when they come out in 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, 85. 85. All right, so I was five or yeah. six years old when it first came out. If mm-hmm. you had asked me when I was like eight, seven or eight years old, if there was a movie that I could flick sync, it was Ghostbusters. Really. It's a great quotable movie. It's to this day, if if you can pull off a quote in common conversation, and it doesn't even have to be dramatic, but there were so many great one lines, you're instantly in. You've got this camaraderie. You've got this something with someone. And that's what's so great about a number of 80s movies is that they're quotable. And, and there's just a connection with those people who have seen it. And we're just as enthusiastic about it as you were. You know, you're, it's like you're on the end, right? Even if you're with a complete stranger, that's the bridge. Like today's politics, religion, uh, number of disagreements or, or differences. You know, if you go up to somebody and you say, we came, we saw, we kicked their ass. You, you're on the end. You, you automatically have a bond. If someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. It, there's nothing like that that you're going to find. Like, it's not going to get confused with anything else. And anyone else would hear that and go, okay. Yeah. Just don't at work say, this man has no dick. <laughs> That's not going to go over well. It, it, you get it. I mean, there's just this camaraderie. That's what I love about the community. Uh, that's the, what I love about the community that really digs Ready Player One and Ernest Klein's material. It's a big Twinkie. It's it's a big Twinkie. It is that everybody kind of has this in. They can relate to this source material, you know, in a way that just triggers. It just tri- in a good way. It triggers you in a good way. What else really stuck out to you? Like, was there anything that, like, something you saw that, like, made you ask some questions or anything like that? What do I want to know? I already have a good feeling for where Egon is going to be sort of set up in this situation. I want to see where Peter Venkman comes into play. I want to see where Ernie Hudson comes into play. Yeah. We already know that Janine is brought into this. And I'm also curious as to 
what exactly how that her relationship, relationship is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause obviously she's not Callie's mom, which means she's talking that? to somebody. I, I, but why else would she be in that same? Cause she loved him because she got, because she, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's a good question. What's she doing in that town? You know, was she involved? Could she be the widow of Egon? I don't think so. I feel like I've heard that theory before. I, I, I still don't think, although she knew him well enough to know that he could hardly keep the lights on. Right. But I kind of wonder, Egon would strike me as the kind of guy who would be more interested in his obsessions. I collect spores, molds and fungus. Than anyone else. And that there would be this potential sort of relationship. But I don't think it would be in that direction. I'm looking forward to getting the answers to these questions. And I'm just I'm just so excited. It's going to be another Thanksgiving where something is coming out that I just need to go either read or see. Because like last Thanksgiving, it was Ready Player Two. Mm-hmm. And this Thanksgiving, it's going to be Ghostbusters Ghostbusters. Yep. Yep. I can't wait. It's just that the time couldn't go by fast enough. Uh, and I feel... Just, yeah, and it, like this is going to be like, it, even though we've known this is going to be going on for a while, it's a it's going to be like finding out last summer that Ready Player Two is coming out at Thanksgiving. It's going to be a very long few months, yeah, waiting and waiting. Yeah. And it's like, how many times am I going to watch the original Ghostbusters films between now and then? Got to study so, up, right? Got to get it all well, fresh. Yeah. So, I would say my biggest lingering concern at the moment is that in a few months we're going to see an uptick in the pandemic and that it is conceivably possible, given the new variants that are coming out that are more resistant to the inoculations, um, still large swaths of of the population uh, not inoculated and thus hosting the potential for new and more dangerous variants. My fear is that we're going to get there in three or four months. We'll be in the midst of a larger wave and that uh, we'll have to roll back to basically the same problem that we had last year, which is theaters closed, face masks on, social distancing, regardless of vaccination. That's that is like worst case scenario in my mind. This is why I really hope they have a contingency plan where they're going to have a deal where it's like available at H- on HBO Max or something for a few months I, I don't think so. I think it's going to be exclusively in theaters. Um, That's what they're saying now. But like, how can they like if things really hit the fan, how can they hold everybody to that? Well, it's not how they can they hold everybody to that. You got to keep in mind is that there's there's a very strong contractual relationship between the theaters and the movie producers and not the producers, but the movie industry as a whole. And if you go straight to digital with a major movie that can cause huge issues for your studio, it means that when things do get in full swing, that the theater companies can decide to put your, you know, movie on the back burner with preference to another studio that is playing ball with the movie industry, with the, with the theaters. So there, there is this, and there have been some studios that have just said, fuck this. <laughs> and, they, and they went to digital anyhow, right? Or they wouldn't go exclusive at least. Like now we're seeing things starting to go back into the direction of exclusive. 
I, I I don't think I don't think it's going to go to digital. If they wanted to say, all right, if you want to watch this film digitally, we're going to sell it to you for thirty bucks, and now you own the digital rights to it, and you can watch it at home. I'm doing it. Oh, I would too. Absolutely, I would. Uh, but there are contractual reasons as to why you can't do that or couldn't even do that two years ago. And, you know, probably still can't do that today. What Wonder Woman 1984 did it. For, on uh, That was available on HBO, if I think, for like a week. They had to do something with it. We, we were in the middle of it. They knew that putting it out there would get a ton of watch. The theaters were closed. It's one of those situations that's kind of like, you know, if your parents say, don't go into our closet and then they leave the house. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Right? Are they even going to know? Yeah. I mean, the theaters knew, but the, just as there's nothing they could do, the theaters were all closed. So, you know, do they wait? No. They realized that everybody was at home and that they would be able to get their money focusing in that way. But now that things are lightening and loosening up, I, I think it's going to be exclusive to theater first and it probably won't come out digital for a month or two, probably a couple months after, much like it was. But again, that's assuming that Everybody gets their damn fucking shots, gets inoculated, stops spreading this bullshit, stops harboring worse variants of this fucking disease and gives the economy a chance to recover. And, and keep in mind, like my interests are to see the damn movie. <laughs> I want everyone to play ball so we can see this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, we've been waiting for two fucking years. It's ridiculous. So it's, uh, but it's, uh, it's still, it's, 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 we're not out of the woods yet, which means that the movie's not out of the woods, which means we've got three, maybe four months before we'll know whether or not we're actually going to get to see it or whether or not it'll be put out till June of next year. The the youngest actors in that film probably, who probably couldn't drive before are probably Jeez, getting ready gonna, to get their driver's licenses by now. They're going to be 35 years old. They'll have their own kids to show these kids. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's my biggest fear coming out of this before we close up is, is that the, the industry is going to take another dive potentially in the next coming months. As I said before, I watched this trailer and my Ghostbusters Afterlife boner just kind of sprang into action. And, you know, I, I'm ready to get rid of the, I'm ready to get rid of this blue balls from waiting for this film. Ghost balls. Yeah. Ghost balls. That's white balls now. Yeah. Uh, it, it's 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 damn well time, damn yeah. well time, and it's not so much that we've been waiting for two years. We've been waiting for like thirty years, yes. Really. You know, and then again, we kind of go back to twenty sixteen, and I hate to harp on it because it, it is actually entertaining in its own right. But you know, when that hit, uh, and I had heard that there was other writings, other scripts potentially at play. I was just so hopeful, but I had really kind of given up. I'd really kind of given up. And then, uh, and then, and then this came out. So, yep. Let's wrap it up then. Yeah. I'm excited. You're excited. It's going to be great. You got it. Fantastic. All right. Well, this is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks.